0: 2,500 years ago, the Spartans were the indisputable military power in Greece. No city had warriors as fierce, disciplined, and proud. They dominated warfare. They never surrendered, unlike other Greeks. These Spartans did not live as individuals, but as parts of a hive, or in this case, a war machine. Yet, their glory lasted only a few centuries. Shockingly, they began to lose key battles. The unthinkable had even occurred as once, scandalously, Spartan soldiers surrendered. That event was the first crack in their mystique of invincibility. In today's episode, we look at what happened. But more importantly, we look at who the Spartans were. Why? Why? Even today, we remain fascinated by these unique, remarkable Greeks who claim to be descendants of the mighty Heracles. This is episode thirty-two of Garner's Greek Mythology. We have listeners from one hundred and forty-seven countries and counting. Welcome to everyone, wherever you are. I'm your host, mythologist, and best-selling author, Patrick Garner. These stories about the gods have been told for thousands of years, but now there are new stories that are as compelling. If you haven't done so already, check out my books about the gods in the contemporary world. You can read more about them and about this podcast at patrickarnerbooks.com. And as always, this podcast focuses on one thing Greek gods, of course. They, like you, are Here, now. Sparta began its existence as early as 1200 BC. It derived its name from a naiad nymph named Sparta. A daughter of the river god Eurotus, Sparta married the city's king, a man named Lacedaemon, who named the region for himself. Thereafter, the Greeks called the Spartans Lacedaemons. Only many centuries later were they referred to as Spartans. To enhance their reputation, the Spartans claimed they were descended from two of the sons of Heracles. The bloodline of each son supposedly produced the Spartan kings and explains why, of all Greek cities, it had two kings who ruled together. Sparta prospered partly due to its rich soils, but its prosperity was due to other factors as well. Around 735 BC, the Spartans attacked and defeated the Mycenaeans, their neighbors to the west, turning them into slaves to support the Lactamon war machine. Spartans called them helots, which meant captives. For more than 300 years, They grew the Spartans' food, made their armor, and cooked their meals. In return, their new masters treated them with extreme cruelty. In fact, to keep the Helots in a constant state of terror, once a year, young Spartan men were allowed to run wild, killing Helots at will. More than anything, the Helot enslavement allowed the Spartans to train for war. No other factor was as important to their success. Let's look briefly at how the Spartans achieved their military prowess. They were indisputably a professional army, the only such force in the ancient world. For instance, at the age of seven, all Spartan boys began their military training, their lives shifting from the comforts of home to a barrack-style austerity. Their parents no longer raised them. Instead, the boys lived communally with other boys to learn how to fight, harden their bodies, and take pain. Their father was replaced by an older Spartan warrior. This warrior, typically in his 20s, became responsible for creating a new fierce and unquestioningly patriotic warrior. The boys' education would go on at least until age 18. Over time, they learned that nothing was more important than sacrificing themselves to the greater good. Further, they were purposely underfed and encouraged to steal. Finding quick ways to overcome difficulties was celebrated. Bravery, courage, and fearlessness were mandatory. Any sign of weakness or cowardice was punished. A boy who showed the slightest sign of fear was shunned by the others. Any aversion to combat caused him to be ostracized. As they grew to young men, the warrior ideal was beaten into them. And by the time they fought their first battle, they were as hard as the bronze armor they wore for protection. And so the Spartan system created courageous soldiers who gladly gave their lives for Sparta. In other cities... Individualism was celebrated. In Sparta, today we would describe their life as radically socialist. That is, every citizen lived to serve the body politic. Given that no other Greek city was similarly structured, we're forced to ask, who created this new system? At this point, we come face-to-face with a Lactamion named Lycurgus the man the Spartans considered their founding lawgiver. This one individual was believed to have written Sparta's laws and to have created the rigid system that fueled their military success. If he actually lived, he lived around 650 BC. Many scholars believe Lycurgus was an invention. It may not be a coincidence that in Greek, the name Lycurgus means wolf worker or wolfish. These were common titles for Apollo, not men. The name Lycurgus was rarely given to a mortal. And even more strangely, the Spartans themselves were unsure of his status, although they were quick to claim he was at least semi divine. The ancient Greek historian Herodotus relates a visit by Lycurgus to the oracle at Delphi, who functioned as Apollo's mouthpiece. The story is that as Lycurgus entered the shrine, the oracle acclaimed loudly, Here to my rich shrine you have come, Lycurgus, dear to Zeus and all the Olympus-dwelling gods. I know not whether to declare you human or divine, but I am inclined to believe you're a god. The Greek philosopher Plutarch, writing hundreds of years later, stated that Lycurgus had served the Spartans as a king, a claim dismissed by most scholars. Regardless, whether man or God, king or commoner, Lycurgus is credited not only with inventing the Spartans' unique military machine, but with creating a new political system that resisted change for hundreds of years. But in fact, no one was sure of any of this, even at the peak of Sparta's dominance. So we have to ask, if Lycurgus was no more than an invention, who created the unique system of government that Sparta so admired? Was it, after all, the Olympic god Apollo? That Lycurgus was one of his nicknames may be far more than coincidence. But the records are either silent or contradictory, and Perhaps we'll never know who or what launched the Spartan way of life. Regardless, we can't dispute that its innovations, even if built on the back of slavery, succeeded for three centuries. When I say succeeded, I speak from the Spartan point of view. Those they defeated and enslaved would have disagreed about my choice of words. By 500 BC, the Spartans, as a military force, were indomitable. The warriors wore distinctive red cloaks and helmets molded from a single sheet of bronze. Fighting was hand-to-hand and face-to-face. They fought in what was called a phalanx, a line of men shields up eight ranks deep. At times, Sparta fielded up to 5,000 men, all rigorously trained. Their lines, like bronze coils, moved in a fierce synchronicity, shields glistening, spears out. They never retreated. Spartan discipline and the Spartan vow to destroy their enemy with merciless, blunt force spread fear through opponents. In 480 BC, the Spartans sealed their reputation forever, pitting 300 of their champions against tens of thousands of Persian soldiers. The famous battle took place in a narrow pass at a place north of Athens called Thermopylae. Over three days, these Spartans beat off the Persian king's chariots and archers and seemingly endless spearsmen. But one by one, the warriors died, refusing to retreat. The dead included one of the two Spartan kings, Leonidas. Anticipating the battle, a Spartan delegation had visited the Delphic Oracle. Her words to the delegation were chilling. Here is your fate, O you, who live in broad street at Sparta. Great and glorious though your city is, Yet men will sack it unless, through the whole Laconian country, all Spartans mourn for the loss of a king, a descendant of great Heracles. Leonidas understood the prophecy, knowing he was destined to go to his death defending Greece accordingly. He selected only warriors who had living sons, certain that all fought before him would die. It turned out that the oracle's prediction was accurate. Leonidas died fighting, but in turn, Sparta was spared invasion. The Persian king, upon his victory, raged at Leonidas, whose obstruction had cost him over 20,000 lives. He ordered that, Leonidas's body be decapitated and crucified. Today's episode is not solely about warfare. The Spartans' reputation as a unique society was also based on the treatment of its women. As we've discussed in many of these episodes, Greek women had few rights. They married early and were expected to maintain a household. Greek women played no part in public life. When they went out, they covered their heads and could not engage with men. Their education, if any, was brief. At the death of a husband, they inherited nothing. In short, men prevailed in all things. This was true everywhere except Sparta. As the scholar Paul Carthage writes, Spartan women could own property, including land, land, they were active, prominent, powerful, independent-minded, and positively garrulous. He continues that girls had a similar education to that of boys. Many could read and write. Oiled head to toe, the girls ran races, threw javelins in the discus, wrestled danced at night in honor of Zeus and Athenae, and rode horses with wild abandoned. They were celebrated for their gymnastic prowess, performing publicly completely naked, which was true for all Spartan youth. Some scholars have speculated that the nakedness allowed potential suitors to pick and choose their future wives. On top of that, Spartan females had a reputation for being the most beautiful of all Greek girls. We shouldn't be surprised. Remember that Helen of Troy was originally Helen of Sparta, known as the most beautiful woman in the world. And unlike their Athenian sisters, Spartan women did no housework, cooked no meals, and would not be caught sitting at a loom. Their slaves, their helots, filled these menial roles. Consequently, Spartan women were free to think and debate and acquire wealth. Further, a married woman was encouraged to take a partner other than her husband if there were a greater assurance of healthy offspring. As Cartledge notes, they were the most remarkable women in all of Greece. But as we study Sparta, we must inevitably return to warriors and war, because ultimately Combat, more than anything else, defined the Spartans. They reached the height of their power when they defeated the Athenians in 404 BC at the end of what we call the Peloponnesian War. The two cities had waged intermittent war for 27 years. Their engagements were savage and became increasingly barbaric. Although Sparta eventually prevailed and Largely because Athens overreached in its desperation for revenue, Sparta's glory was brief. A mere 35 years later, Sparta suffered a catastrophic defeat at the hands of the Thebans. Then Thebes invaded Sparta's territory and in a final crushing blow liberated the Messenian helots who had been enslaved by Sparta for centuries. The mighty Spartan war machine never recovered and Sparta lingered on as no more than a second-rate power. Their power had lasted 300 years, but as suddenly as it arose, it collapsed. Worse, the humiliations continued. First, Alexander the Great swept through the Lacedaemon countryside. The Spartans barely resisted. Then in 195 BC, the Romans drove the final nail into the remnants of Sparta, tearing down its defensive walls and forcing the remaining inhabitants to pledge fealty forever to Rome. What can we make of this tale of brute force and collapse? First, Spartan society was astoundingly lopsided. When they eventually met a greater force, They had no alternative ideology to fall back on. In Sparta's view of itself, it was either supreme or it had no purpose. It existed for its military. It had no art, philosophy, or literature. Even Greeks at the time remarked upon its shallowness, on its strangeness. No other city had such a single-minded and remarkable focus. Its obsession served it until it suddenly did not. Ultimately, Sparta paid an extraordinary price for its brief reign of power. Yet, any critique aside, much of today's world thinks of Spartans as the ultimate fearless warriors, unrelenting, brave, and willing to give their lives for a greater good. So, in the eyes of history... Perhaps they won after all. Join me for the next episode of Garner's Greek Mythology. If you love what you hear, be sure to visit patrickgarnerbooks.com or find me on Amazon. I assure you, my novels about the Greek gods are as entertaining as my podcasts. A great way to find out is to download my Audible book, Homo Divinitus. You can get it at Amazon or Audible. And thanks for listening. This is your host, Patrick Garner.